in Genesis 15, Abraham has had quite an experience with God. He, he has had the Lord come to him in a vision and an experience and promised that he would be a shield to him and he would be his exceeding great reward that he would give to him, that God would give to Abraham a seed or an offspring, a descendant, uh, which would become like the stars in the sky for a multitude, which Paul, in Galatians 3, as we looked last week, Paul interprets that and says under the leading of the Holy Spirit that he's talking about Christ. That's the seed from Abraham that would just exponentially grow like the stars in heaven. It does include Isaac because to have a descendant, he has to have, before you get to Christ, he has to have other descendants. And he also promises the land that he's living in. And Abraham in Genesis 15 verse 8, he says, Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession. Abraham has the promise, but now he's asking for assurance. How can I know this for sure? That's in verse eight. So then you have a covenant ceremony. Beginning in verse nine, God tells him to bring heifer, a goat, and a ram, three years old, a dove, and a young pigeon, which, by the way, these five animals are the same ones listed under the Mosaic sacrificial system in Leviticus chapter 1, these same five animals. So he says, I want you to bring me these. So in verse 10, Abraham brought all of these to him. And he cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite of each other. He didn't cut the birds. And after this, uh, Abraham tried to keep the vultures away. But it says that he grew tired. In verse 12, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a dreadful darkness came upon him and in this darkness in this sleep God says your descendants that come from your own body will be enslaved for 400 years that's in verse 15 you will go to your or verse 14 they will be slaves, and then they will come out with great possessions. This is the exodus. Abraham is around 2,000 years before Christ. The exodus takes place around 1,500 years before Christ. So it's about a 500-year difference, and God tells Abraham that they're going to go down into Egypt. They're going to be enslaved, mistreated, but then I'm going to punish the Egyptians. Remember the ten plagues. And I'm going to bring out your descendants. 
the Israelites under Moses. They're going to return to the land, and verse 14 says, I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. And as we know from the book of Exodus, these things actually happen. A prediction and a prophecy that is 500 years in the future. And... uh, and precise. For example, they will come out with great possessions. Exodus chapter 12, it says that when the Egyptians were released after the Passover, the tenth plague, they asked the Egyptians, the Israelites did, for silver and gold and jewelry and clothes, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So they let them have what they asked, so they plundered the Egyptians. Well, that's what he predicted 500 years earlier. They would come out with great possessions. When you've worked for somebody for 400 years, it's time to get paid. <laughs> so, God says, you, ha- you, ha- you go and ask for wages. And they did. And God gave them favor, and the Egyptians just poured it on them. In fact, after the ten plagues were over, the Egyptians were glad to get rid of it. You're leaving? Awesome. Here, take all of our money with you. Just leave. So this is what God tells Abraham in this deep sleep. And then, in according to uh, verse 17 and 18, all of a sudden in this sleep, this thick darkness, a smoking pot and a blazing torch appear and go between the pieces now this uh, smoking pot (laughs) uh, God's not smoking pot let's clear that up right off the bat but there's a there's like a little furnace that's heated up and then there's a torch so This is simply, every commentary I've read from every direction says, it's just simply representing or symbolizing God. Uh, Heat and light, warmth and insight. This is what God brings. So uh, God, symbolized by the, the, the small furnace and the blazing torch, God, by these symbols, walks between the pieces that are cut up on each side. Now, this was a covenant-making ceremony. This is how they did it in Abraham's day, 4,000 years ago. How do you make a covenant? Well, you... Cut the animals. You take basic, agreed-upon animals. You cut them in two. In fact, the word make a covenant in Hebrew is literally cut a covenant. Because you're cutting them, you're going to cut animals into pieces. And then you walk between those pieces. 
both parties walk between the pieces. And you say, you confess by this uh, theater that you're acting out. You say, may God do so to me and more also if I do not keep the covenant that I am making here today. You're, you're pronouncing a curse upon yourself. You're agreeing that whatever God's may be will be against you and divide you and destroy you and cut you in pieces, just like these animals. This is the way they made a covenant. And here's an example of a covenant like this. In Jeremiah 34, beginning in verse uh, 15, um, a little background there in Jeremiah 34. Uh, Jeremiah lived around 700 years before, or uh, 600 years before Christ, and he had preached that the people should stop holding their slaves, to let the slaves go. And the people agreed to do it. So they made a covenant to do it. And here's how they made it. Uh, Jeremiah 34, 15. You recently repented and did what was right in my eyes by proclaiming liberty to his neighbor. And you made a covenant before me in the house called by my name. They went to the temple and did this. But then you turned around and, and took back the slaves that you had set free. Verse 18. And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made, I will make them like the calf they cut in two and pass between the parts. I will give them into the hand of their enemies, verse 20, and their dead bodies will be food for the birds of the air and beasts of the earth. So, so that's the way they made a covenant. You... You take these animals, you divide them in two, you create a path, and then you walk hand in hand or together in this path, and you say, let God do this to me. May the birds of the air come and consume my flesh, and may the, the animals and the beasts of the earth come and consume me. If I do not keep the covenant, I may I perish by the God of heaven. And both parties would walk between the divided animals. And this confession was called an oath. It was a covenant-making confession. And it was called an oath. Now, how do we understand these covenants and the one God made with Abraham. And let me, let me give you two or three things. First, in the Old Testament, well, and in the New, um, God relates and interacts with man based on covenants. You have a covenant relationship, that, and the word that describes a covenant relationship is no, I know him. It's a covenant term. And basically the Bible 
is divided into two covenants. The word covenant is, has a Latin term when they first put this into the first translation uh, by Jerome back 400 A.D. Uh, it, the word for covenant was testament. So when they brought that over, they just left the word testament. But they, it really is co covenant. There's basically two covenants in the Bible. An old one and a new one. A covenant was not a contract. A contract means that when you have an agreement with someone, you put up property as collateral. But when you make a covenant, a biblical covenant, you put up your person as collateral. You are collateral. You will be divided up and taken, consumed by the birds of the air. A covenant was considered permanent. You didn't enter into a covenant easily. You thought this through. You got counsel. You gave it time. And then when you entered covenant, this is a life commitment. That's what covenants were for. But a contract was usually temporary. It's like a mortgage. You're, you can pay that mortgage off. Someday in the wild blue yonder, you'll get it paid off. But your marriage is called a marriage what? Covenant. You don't get that mortgage paid off. <laughs> That's a debt you'll be paying on every day of your life. That's a covenant. And if you violate that covenant, you may be cut in pieces. But let me offer uh, just a, a bit of encouragement to those of you who feel like, okay, I blew it. I'm, I'm good. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. The old covenant. Being made a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree or a cross so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. Hallelujah. So what you have here is God making a covenant um, and and God walking between the pieces as symbolized by the torch and the pot. God put himself under oath. He went to court under a threat of perjury. See, you can say something is true, but once you enter a legal uh, jurisdiction, and say that under threat of perjury, that's different. It may not be different from what you said, but it's now there's penalties. God has put himself 
under the penalty of perjury here in Genesis 15. It just makes me think, wow, what a humble God we serve. How sweet and how condescending he has become to us. And so you walk between the pieces and you make this self-imprecation or self-curse of in your confession with the other person. Ruth 1.17, you find Ruth doing this. There came a time, like any covenant, that it would be trimmed down uh, and you did maybe you didn't have the time for killing the sacrifices and this long, drawn-out ceremony, so you, you would trim it down, do it quick, and finally, it just by the time you get to Ruth, you could just say the words. Here's what Ruth said when she followed Naomi back to Israel. Ruth 117. She said, May the, when Naomi said, No, you stay here in Moab, she said, May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw she was so determined, she said no more. See, Ruth was entering that verbal self-curse. May the Lord do so to me and more also if I do not follow and trust in the God of Israel and come under the shadow of his wings. So understanding the covenant, we said, first of all, God relates to us by covenants and he knows us when we enter covenant with him. The second thing is, notice in verse 17 and 18. Notice that only God walked between the pieces. Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot or fire pot with a blazing torch, those symbols of God, appeared and passed between the pieces. And the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Only God passed between the pieces. I know that because Abraham was asleep. <laughs> right? In fact, up in uh, verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. He's, he's not involved. He, ha, he hears the promises and the covenant. Here's God take the oath, but he's, he's passed out. This is the same word, this deep sleep, this same word used with Adam when God made Eve out of Adam's side, Genesis 2.21. Now what's going on here? I'll tell you exactly what it is. God is making what is called a unilateral covenant, one-sided. God is taking the curse upon himself. And Abraham is off the hook. And so 
when God made Eve out of Adam's side, God wanted Adam to know, I'm putting you into a deep sleep because I want you to know you did not participate in the making and molding of this beautiful lady. So he put him into a deep sleep because Adam had no role. Just take a nap. Uh, when I would have surgery before, uh, I had a surgery last year, and the anesthesiologist, he would come up, and he'd say, anything you want to say before you take a nap? Nope. Wake me up, I guess. And uh, he said, good night. And he pushed a button, and I was out. That was it. I did not participate in the surgery. I, even if I'd been awake, I probably wouldn't have participated in the surgery. But I couldn't participate in the surgery. This is a unilateral covenant. Now, <clears throat> go forward 500 years till you get to Moses. Now, Abraham has had Isaac, Jacob, grandson, and then the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes. They go down into Egypt because Joseph invited them, and now they've been there 400 years. Moses comes to bring them out. Now, think about this. They come on Mount Sinai, and Exodus 19, verse 3, says to Moses from Mount Sinai, the Lord called to him, saying, Thou shalt say to the house of Jacob and the children of Israel, You saw what I did to the Egyptians. Split the Red Sea, sent the plagues. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice, Exodus 19, 5, and keep my covenant, you will be a special treasure to me above all people, and you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Notice the contingency. If you will obey, if you will keep my covenant, then you will be. Now that's called the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. But the, there's a covenant that preceded that called the Abrahamic covenant. And it was not Abraham, if you will obey. Stay awake, stay awake, Abraham. Come on, here's some coffee. If you will obey and keep my covenant, then you will be. God did nothing like that with Abraham. The Mosaic Covenant comes 500 years later. It's a conditional covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant in Genesis 15 is a unilateral covenant. So, and here's the thing about this wonderful promise and oath of God. He promises to take on himself the responsibility for seeing that these promises come true and that these blessings are sure. God takes that for on himself. He takes an oath. It reminded me of Isaiah 9-7, of the increase of his government and peace there talk about Christ being born he will be the prince of peace a counselor uh, 
His name will be called Wonderful and so on. And in the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the, on the throne of David and his kingdom to be ordered and established forever. And it says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the promises of the increase of his government, his peace, his glory, his name, he's going to come and it's going, he's going to rule over the earth forever and ever. Uh, how, how's that going to be? Boy, let's get some people together to pray. Let's get on fire for God. Let's have a revival. Let's start new churches. And then you get a dull thud response. Let me tell you something. The kingdom does not rest on your zeal but on the zeal of the Lord of hosts, he will perform it. God never loses his zeal for the kingdom of Christ. Ours waxes and wanes. And God is not dependent on how excited we are about Jesus. He is determined he's going to exalt him and give the kingdoms of the earth over to him. And it may take a while. But he will do it. He has taken an oath to Abraham. So it's not going to be Abraham. Abraham's going to be dead whenever God brings him back and they possess the land under Joshua. One other thing. When the apostles illustrate the new covenant... Or New Testament, they always use Abraham, not Moses, as the illustration of the New Covenant. For example, Romans 4.13, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law of Moses, but through righteousness by faith. They always uses Abraham. Galatians 3, 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, a man of faith. Because the covenant, in the, the new covenant of forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, does not rest on us and our feeble ways, our feeble faith. But Luke 22, 20 says, Jesus with his disciples said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. See, there's the blood. There's the sacrifice. If it's going to cost blood, it's going to be mine. So this new covenant is based on how God made a covenant with Abraham. So as you get older, maybe you'll get immobile where you can't go to church. Maybe your mental capacities fade and you can't read the Bible. I've been having a struggle trying to read the text this morning with my reading glasses. 
What if you can't go to church? What if you can't read the Bible? Maybe your addictions are such that you fall back into some of those old sins that you thought you left behind. I have good news for you today. How will I know I inherit? And God himself takes the oath and bears the curse and the, and the brunt of the violation of the covenant. See, that is the gospel. Galatians 3.18, if the inheritance be by law, it's not a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. <laughs> See, what you have going on here is God gave him a promise. Now, that should be enough. God cannot lie. Amen? So if God promises something, then that can't be a lie because God did it. God said it. But in order to make it sure for Abraham, he, God also took an oath, made a covenant. So by two things, a promise and an oath, it's absolutely certain. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews, he gathers this together. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16. Men swear by someone who's greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what they promise and puts an end to all argument. See, an oath would end it. If you're willing to take the oath and take the covenant and walk through the pieces, that'll end it. Your word is one thing, your oath is another. So men, he said, an oath confirms what he said and puts an end to debate. Hebrews 6, verse 17. So God, referring to Genesis, God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs. What was promised, he confirmed with an oath. He did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled to take hold of the hope, the refuge offered to us. Now we may be greatly encouraged for this hope is an anchor of the soul. He said by these two unchangeable things, what he promised, he confirmed with an oath. Hebrews 6, verse 17. So that is the idea here. God, when it started out, it says, Lord, how can I know for sure? And God said, I'll tell you. First, I've given you the promise. Now I'm taking an oath. I'm entering a covenant. And that's enough assurance to get you to heaven any day of the week. God's promise and God's oath. And as Hebrews says, that is an anchor of the soul, Hebrews 6.19. Firm and secure. Amen. Let's pray together. Ushers, you come. and Let's worship with our tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, we are awed by your coming to us
by your taking the load of the covenant upon yourself as we see at the cross. We thank you. We can only praise you and say we appreciate what you did when we could not do it for ourselves. Help us to love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.